You're listening to The Switch. The Switch is a podcast about ideas and experiences that change our minds. I'm your host, Chase Harris, joined as always for this episode by my co-host, Alex Berner. This episode, week seven of our Outwitting the Devil series. The principle? Recognize that your greatest asset is time, the only thing which you own outright, and the one thing which can be shaped into whatever material things you want. Budget your time so that none of it is wasted. We start this week with, of course, the two-minute recap of Outwitting the Devil. If you are just joining us for the first time, don't worry. We will also recap the exercise from last week, which was about using your brain to define your path forward from where you are now to where you want to be. Then we go into this week's principle about time, how to budget it, how to use it, and the idea of wasted time. We get some good discussion going with the audience, and then we launch into the exercise for this week before we break out into breakout rooms. This podcast is hosted by the 52 Living Ideas Meetup community. You can join the live audience and other discussions throughout the week at meetup.com slash 52livingideas. This podcast is also a Patreon-funded podcast. By no means is it necessary. However, if you do value what we are doing here, you can give as little as $1 an episode over at patreon.com slash switch underscore podcast and unlock the occasional bonus content. Things like bonus questions with our guests, post-interview chats, sometimes breakout room discussions, things like that. The Switch is produced by Mojo Filter Media. That's our audio company, specializing in audio production for interactive media. Find out more at www.mojofilter.media. So, without further delay, I give you week seven of our Outwitting the Devil series. All right, so for anybody who's joining us for the first time, fear not. Even though this is week seven of Outwitting the Devil, I am here to offer you the two-minute recap of the book before we jump into this week's principle. Here's how today's going to go. I'll give the recap. And then last week, I gave everyone an exercise for the week. And we actually practiced it a little bit during the recording session and during the breakout rooms, which we'll do again this week. Um, I'm going to start with some feedback from anybody who completed the exercise. We'll keep that nice and short. And then we'll launch into this week's principle. We will discuss that. We'll go over the exercise for this week. And then again, we will practice it a little bit, go into the breakout rooms, discuss and practice there, and then we will close for the night. So without further delay, let's jump into it. Outwitting the Devil, for anyone who has never heard of it or read it, two-minute summary. It was written by Napoleon Hill, famous for Think and Grow Rich, in 1938, 1939, but it was not published until 2011 because he and his wife and the people who, who had their hands on the manuscript after they died all thought it was too dangerous. Essentially, what I would consider too politically incorrect because it did a couple of things. First of all, it presented the devil as a, a, this sort of truthful genius character bent on taking people away from their desires, what, what they call in the book, drifting. Uh, and the devil in the book criticizes institutions of religion and schools and things like that. And ultimately, you know, I think part of the reason that the, the book may not have gotten the traction that it now gets, or, or may, may have gotten even more criticism than it now gets is because it considers failure in the hands of the individual in terms of your interactions with natural outside forces. You know, he talks about how 
the reasons that people drift from their desires, drift from the things that they want out of life is because they are slaves to their natural desires. They don't realize what they're doing. They, there's a whole list of characteristics. Um, but essentially that's what the book is about. Drifting versus not drifting strategies that, you know, the devil uses to drift people away from what they want from life. Um, and, you know, it's debated whether Napoleon Hill was speaking with the real devil or thought he was, or was using it knowingly as a metaphor. doesn't matter. The point is, this is insanely good self-development advice, principles for becoming a, a better human being who gets what they want out of life. So we're going through principle by principle for these 12 weeks. Last week's principle was about using your mind to transmute your desires into their physical counterparts. Um, you know, I would describe the exercise as practicing using your brain to define your path forward from where you are now to where you want to be. And, you know, if you go way back in our series, we talked about defining your ideal future self really quickly. This is the, this is how you fill the gaps. You use your mind to fill the gaps between where you are now and where you want to be. So that's what last week's exercise was about. And we practiced it during the session. Uh, before I give my feedback and what I got out of it. Um, Alex, do you want to jump in and talk about your experience with the exercise? Oh, and by the way, for anyone who completed the exercise this week and would like to do a 90 second, two minute summary of what you got from it, we'll invite the first two or three people who say so in the chat to just uh, tell us what you got. So feel free to just pop it in the chat if you're willing to talk about that. All right, Alex, you have the floor. Yeah, so mine, mine ties in a lot with this week's discussion because it really was about um, why I can't always hit my marks of everything I want to get done. And a lot of but my the group we talked in in the breakout rooms was super helpful and they gave a lot of great advice. So I'm not going to talk too much about mine because I think it, it leads into the, our discussion for today. Um, but there were some specific things, be more specific with goals. Um, and it's, it's thinking about just uh, triggers of habits, right? So one habit leading into the other, that was some advice I got. Think about um, maybe the order that you do things being consistent as opposed to um, just arbitrary. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a lot of just practical things. So I, again, I'm not, I'm going to hold back because I think uh, time management was the core of it. And that's really what we're doing this week. So, Cool. All right. Thanks, Alex. Joe. Hey, Joe. Um, hey, what's up, Chase? How you guys doing? <laughs> um, you know, it's, uh, I, it's time management was one of the things that I actually had noted as well, but specifically the idea of diminishing returns was something that is preventing me from being, you know, being my ideal self is that I tend to uh, focus on things that I don't need to do and misdirect my energy. And then ultimately that it ends up to be a time man management issue. Um, there are things that I had written down to kind of counteract those, but you know, one of the things we were, you know, going through was the idea of the ambiguity that in the solution itself, um, 
and that still is unclear to me uh, in doing this exercise because I still don't know. I, I the one thing I can honestly say that I tried to do is to figure out how much downtime do I need, and to figure out the minimum amount, and then work back from there and filling my time. Uh, and then I can kind of figure out how, like when I need to stop doing something in order to figure out diminishing returns from there. So you, then I can determine what diminishing returns is. So I kind of tried to back into this exercise, which is a little bit, a uh, little bit of a different approach, but I, I did struggle with it. Yeah, that's okay. And that's, you know, that's good to struggle with an exercise. I think that is an opportunity for growth. So cool. Uh, anyone else before I jump into mine? Okay. Still have a few seconds to let me know if you want. I'll go ahead and talk about mine. So last week we did the exercise sort of with me live with the whole audience. And I was talking about how I felt like I needed help filling in the gaps of my roadmap between where I am now or where I was then with getting, you know, only a small percentage of my income from what I would consider professional work to the ideal future self that only has income from professional work, you know, not, not doing any sort of survival job type thing. And I got some awesome feedback and I think it helped me First of all, it helped me build out that roadmap, and I won't go into a lot of detail on that. Um, but I think the one thing that really struck me was that I felt like what I was, what I'm doing now, was holding me back from where I wanted to be. And so I turned in my two weeks this week, and I'm going to be leaving that, you know, quote unquote survival job that, you know. I've learned a lot from and has been great, but, you know, and it has also allowed me to save up enough that, you know, I can, I can buffer that, that time money wise to focus on my goals, focus on where I need to be and really just, you know, jumpstart all of that stuff. So that was a, that was a major change that I made this week that, you know, I think it was bubbling in the background, but, that conversation and doing that last week's exercise really shined on shined a light on the fact that I needed to do that to move forward. So super happy about that. And uh, yeah, it's going to be good. All right. Any last words on the exercise from last week before we move on? Alex, you're free to jump in as well, if you'd like. Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. Cool. All right, that was quick and easy. Let's jump in to this week's exercise. Alex, I know I'm springing this on you. Would you like to read the quote? Uh, sure. Cool. Recognize that your greatest asset is time. The only thing which, your own out, which you own outright and the one thing which can be shaped into whatever material things you want. Budget your time so none of it is wasted. Nice. I like that it ends with like a strong imperative. Budget mm -hmm. your time so that none of it is wasted, which begs the question, what does that mean to waste time? Now, I was thinking about that a little bit this week, and 
I think for me, there's a, a distinction that needs to be made between what would be useful rest and recharge time and wasted time. So first of all, when I think recharge time, I'm, I'm a hardcore introvert. As much as I love socialization and I love people and I love talking to people, I very quickly get exhausted with that. And it, it does not energize me. I find it engaging, but draining. And so I need time by myself to process, to work on my own things, you know, to essentially have that time, that individual recharge time where I can ramp back up my, you know, essentially cognitive energy for, for doing social interactions and things like that. So that's the kind of thing I would consider recharge time. And I think in the pursuit of goals, there is also recharge time similar to that where if you're pursuing something, even though often the pursuit of something like a material goal can be energizing, it can also be exhausting, especially if it runs up against certain facets of your personality, again, like mine being an introvert. Uh, And I think that recharge time is not wasted time. As long as it's deliberate, I heard this phrase, I forget who from, structured, unstructured time. He specifically takes, um, I remember the conversation was about a secular version of the Sabbath day where you're not allowed to work and what the function of a Sabbath is. And he was talking about how he structures that day and how he specifically puts in structured, unstructured time, like carves out a block of time and says, I don't know what I'm going to do there. I'm just going to leave it up to whatever I feel like doing or, you know, I'm not going to make any engagements. I'm not going to book anything like that is unstructured time that I have set aside specifically for that. So I think things like that would not be considered wasted time, but I think there are things that are wasted time. And I think that, you know, that's a, that follows a spectrum between things that are specifically moving you backward and things that are stagnating. So those are really my only thoughts on what is wasted time? Do you, did you want to talk about that at all? Yeah, it's, that's, that's a concept that's always been, I feel like I've been too far. My anxiety pushes me too far to the one side where everything is wasting my time. That's not directly uh, associated with my goals. Um, so whenever people tell me, Oh, just take, you know, take a 15 minute break in between work sessions. I'm like, no, I want to keep going just straight until the task is done. And I don't, you know, maybe I actually work best like that or maybe not. And I think that brings up the most important thing for me is how do you know how much time, like how do you know if the amount of time you're spending towards a specific goal is the right amount or not? Mm -hmm. So I think without knowing that, I don't know if I can make an assessment of what time is wasted, right? Because I, I feel like there's almost an, an order, right? If I thought about my direct goals, things we talk about in Outwitting the Devil, you know, self-development, work goals, relationship, um, you know, uh, maintenance, just taking care of people, trying to be a good person would be up on my top, you know, highest uh, tier of uses of time. And below that might be uh, fun social time, you know, time that I spend with friends, 
that I, I value the social connectedness I'm getting. And then maybe below that would be not in person, virtual time playing games with friends. So it's still social. It's still fulfill, fulfilling multiple needs. Um, it's still, I feel like helping me uh, learn and, and communicate and recharge my social batteries. And then I think at the very bottom would be something like just spending time on my phone, putting off a task that I should be doing. And I'm actually enjoying being on the phone less than I would be enjoying doing the difficult task to begin with. So a time that is not only wasted, but actively makes me feel worse. Um, I'm not sure if I'd say there's a whole nother category on that opposite spent, you know, time. I, I, I guess I would put wasting time almost maybe as more of a, a neutral low end, low tier use of time. So, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, no, go ahead. I think you'll probably lead it better. So I think I'm thinking of this in two ways. So I want to present an analogy that I think will help us on the question of how do we tell if time is wasted or not. And then I think we can go into strategies for wasting less time and using more time. So this analogy I got from uh, my friend, John, who has been on the podcast a couple of times. He's been around on the 52 Living Ideas meetup groups. Um, and he has this analogy of a garden. So this is, the, this is the way I understand it. If you think of, and he gives better numbers than me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, uh, you know, abstract it up. If you think of a garden uh, that is divided into a grid, call it like a 10 by 10 grid. So you've got 100 squares inside this garden. And each square represents uh, essentially a hundredth of your waking day. So I, I don't know, whatever that chunk is, like eight minutes or seven minutes or 12 minutes, you know, whatever that chunk is, there, you've got a hundred of them in a day. And now in each chunk, you have the opportunity to tend to that garden in an individual way. So for example, if you do certain things like use up all of your energy on certain aspects, uh, you, you know, you you've got a watering can and you put all your water in the first three plots and then you have nothing for the other 97. Well, your garden's going to grow a certain way. If you evenly spread your water, or if you water things according to what they need, you source more water when you need it, you leave certain plots empty, you grow certain plants not near each other, not near others, your garden will continue to grow and thrive in specific ways based on the way that you are tending each of those plots. And anybody who's ever grown a garden, like a big garden before knows that there are certain plants that you can't plant anything else around because they will kill everything else. Uh, I forget what plants are like that. Let's just pretend it's tomatoes, right? So if you plant tomatoes in a certain plot, the plots around it cannot have sunflowers because the sunflowers will not grow there or the sunflowers and the tomatoes will cancel each other out. Similarly, there are certain ways that you can treat the time in your day such that the times around them are affected. And there are certain ways that you can treat the time in your day to grow your garden of success better or worse than arranging your day other ways. And 
you know, I think of a lot of this like habits. So when I first heard this analogy, uh, I related this to something like a morning routine where, you know, and this is less geographic. We're going to go a little more abstract here. But if you roll out of bed and immediately check Twitter, that has an effect on what the next thing you do is. That has an emotional effect on you, even just based on what you've read. It has an emotional effect on you, whether you read good things or bad things. Um, if you, you know, do other habitual things, or if you don't have consistent habits for something like a morning routine, it will affect the rest of your day differently. But if you dial in a morning routine, you can affect that rest of your day deliberately in a way that's positive. So in the garden analogy, that's like making sure you're planting certain things in certain areas so that the rest of the garden can thrive as well. You know, it doesn't have to be, you know, a linear progression through your plot of land. It's just an analogy. Um, so anyway, point being, treat your day like a gridded garden that you are tending with care. Don't let weeds grow. Don't plant things next to each other that shouldn't be there. Don't plant stuff that's not supposed to be in your garden. And be just be deliberate. That's what I get out of that analogy. Do you want to respond to that analogy before I bring up my other thing here? Yeah, I agree totally. I think um, once I really became aware of habits and their impact and felt that firsthand, I feel like that's the first time I really felt like I had control over my future. Because up until then, everything more or less seemed somewhat random, right? You know, I, until I realized that the, the body wants to, and the mind want to do the same things in a similar order again, over and over again. And once you do that, you know, we always bring up system one and system two, it, it offloads a lot of those cognitive resources when they become habits. So for me, it allowed me to just use my cognitive resources um, for things that needed them much more than, oh, where'd I, I'm making coffee for the first time at home instead of buying it out, you know, oh, where's the, where's the filters? Where is that? And, and taking 10 minutes to, to get everything set up when it would be automatic after a week. Yeah. Once I did that, I was able to start to figure out over the course of time what I needed to have as those habits and how much time needed to be spent. Um, and is this a good time to go to the chart or do you want to bring that up? Um, I, that's up to you. If you want to bring it up or if you want me to bring it up, I can. Sure. Yeah. If you could pull that up. So basically once I started figuring out over the course of the week, how many um, hours I needed to spend for each goal. <clears throat> and this is slightly edited for, um, it, it, it's different than it would be now, but I've started to figure out how much of my time every week I want to commit to certain different things. This is mostly in the career realm here for me. Um, and creating a chart like this helped to show me how much time I was actually spending on each individual task. And if I went one week and noticed through what we're going to get to, which is um, tracking time, that you spend doing stuff. Um, I started to notice if 
this kind of ideal that I created here was out of balance or if other things were popping in, like if a big bubble would come in right here and show iPhone use uh, 35 hours and, and these numbers are hours per week. Um, that would be not congruent with my goals. So basically through habit formation, I was able to then go through and look at how much time I wanted to spend and kind of order and break down what I wanted to do and how it made sense. And using the garden analogy, how to plant certain things that don't belong uh, next to each other, uh, away from each other. So I'd personally, I like, um, you know, not doing too much of the same task all in a row. So I like to break up the day and let's say I start with you know, uh, two hours of one thing, move on to one of the next and, and then throw on so on throughout the week. And even just by divvying up this and kind of offloading it from my own, how much time should I be spending on this kind of cognitive thinking? Just the offloading of that gave me more energy that I could use to, um, uh, you know, analyze that, how it was working for me. Cool. Uh, we have a comment from Stacy. Uh, do you want to read that real quick? Oh. Stacy? Oh, sure. Um, yeah, the comment was just uh, sometimes I get creatively sidetracked. So, you know, if you were just an outsider looking, you would probably think, oh, that's kind of what is he doing wasting time. But I find that my the, the way I work, the way I think a lot of ideas are in there. And when that when I get sidetracked, it's just that idea kind of bubbling up to the front and, and my brain just kind of working on it. Uh, and, and, you know, every once in a while, I'll be sitting here working and just go, oh, grab a book from here or grab a notebook and start playing around. And it feels like, oh, I'm sidetracked. I'm not focused on the task. But it's that point where I really have to put the, the energy into that idea because my brain's really working on it. So I kind of switch tasks for a while, drop my main focus and I, and I, it's not predictable. You don't know when that's going to happen. It can kind of sneak up on you, but then wasting time can sneak up on you too. So. so you may not have an answer for this, but if you do, I'd like to hear it. How can you tell the difference between being creatively sidetracked and wasting time? <laughs> I was actually wondering that too. I was thinking about that same thing because the distinction is it's hard because sometimes even what, what you might think of as wasting time can just be decompressing. It can be just like, you know, you found yourself answering a message on your phone and then before you know it, you're you know playing a game and you realize, Oh, I really want to be playing that game. That's kind of wasting time. But why did you do that in the first place? Why did your mind go there in the first place? Did you need to decompress? Did you need to get away from what, what you were doing? Or was it just something that got in your face and distracted you needlessly? So I, I don't yeah. know. Um, which is why I eliminate all that stuff from my phone anyway, so that I have to more purposefully find those, uh, those things to decompress. Yep. That's, that's exactly what I was 
going to say is that I think the, the cure for that unknown is to be deliberate about everything. Uh, if you're not sure whether you were wasting time or being creatively sidetracked, I think that that's a symptom of a different problem, which is not being deliberate. And I think that's, that's really what not drifting is all about. Drifting is the entire, is living your life, not deliberately. The opposite of that would be living your life deliberately. And so, yeah, I think that's, you know, that, that really is the, the cure for that. So awesome. Thank you. One other thing I was going to say with Alex's tracking analogy, and we'll, we'll talk more about tracking because that's actually part of the exercise for this week. Um, there is a device out there where I think you can write in like whiteboard marker, dry erase on the outside of the device, what your activities are. And then you flip the device onto the side for your current activity and it'll just start tracking that time. And then when you switch to doing something else, you just, you just flip it like a dice, like a, uh, yeah. And you just flip it to the activity that you're on and it'll start tracking that one. And you can have that track your entire day, your entire work cycle, whatever you want. And it'll just do it for you as long as you remember to actually turn it to the side that represents what you're doing at that time. So that's one tracking strategy, but okay. I want to bring in another opinion on time that I think aligns pretty well with this, but it comes from my favorite of the ancient Stoics, uh, Seneca, who I like, I just think his writing is awesome. I'm a huge Seneca fan. Uh, he wrote this series of letters to his friend Lucilius. And I don't remember if I, I think Lucilius was a real person, but I don't remember if he wrote the letters intending just to talk to Lucilius or to have them published. I think he, he knew somewhere that these would be published, but I want to read the first two paragraphs. They go really quickly of his very first letter to Lucilius, which is called on saving time. And this was, this was my introduction to stoicism in some way. And at some point I wanted to memorize these two paragraphs because I thought, this is like, this is such an important idea. So here's the quote. Greetings from Seneca to his friend Lucilius. Continue to act thus, my dear Lucilius. Set yourself free for your own sake. Gather and save your time, which till lately has been forced from you or filched away or has merely slipped from your hands. Make yourself believe the truth of my words, that certain moments are torn from us, that some are gently removed and that others glide beyond our reach. The most disgraceful kind of loss, however, is that due to carelessness. Furthermore, if you will pay close heed to the problem, you will find that the, the, largest, the largest portion of our life passes away while we are doing ill, a goodly share while we are doing nothing, and the whole while we are doing that, which is not to the purpose. Drifting. What man can you show me who places any value on his time, who reckons the worth of each day, who understands that he is dying daily. For we are mistaken when we look forward at death. The major portion of death has already passed. Whatever years lie behind us are in death's hands. Therefore, Lucilius, do as you write me that you are doing. Hold every hour in your grasp. Lay hold of today's task and you will not need to depend so much on tomorrow's. While we are postponing, life speeds by. Nothing, Lucilius, is ours except time. 
We were entrusted by nature with the ownership of this single thing, so fleeting and slippery that anyone who will cast oust us from, oh, anyone who will can oust us from possession. What fools these mortals be. They allow the cheapest and most useless things which can easily be replaced to be charged in the reckoning after they have acquired them. But they never regard themselves as in debt when they have received some of that precious commodity, time. And yet, time is the one loan which even a grateful recipient cannot repay. Mic drop from Seneca. Oh. All right. So, we've talked about time. We've talked about saving time. Um, if anybody wants to read that letter from Seneca for yourself, I'll stick the, uh, the link in the chat. I think what I'd like to do now I want to open to the audience before we discuss this exercise. A specific question. How are you, it's a multi-part question. How are you using your time? Do you waste time? Are you mindful of how you use your time? Where do you think you could improve in how you use time? And Alex, maybe you can start with your answer to this question. What, what do you do with your time do you waste time and maybe strategies that you use specifically for managing your time? I, I don't like that word, but for making sure that at the end of the day, you've budgeted your time properly. And, and while you answer this, we'll give the audience uh, a minute to answer this for yourselves and anybody who would like to definitely pop an exclamation point in the chat. And we'll, we'll call on people. We can open this discussion up. So Alex, take it away. Um, so I definitely waste time, but I would say that's less of my issue rather than spending time working towards the wrong goals. And, and by the wrong, I mean, not the ones I've laid out for myself, not the ones I desire. I'm putting time towards doing things um, I wouldn't call it wasted. I think it's of a purpose, but I don't know if it's, you know, the, the highest and best use of my time. Um, and that's kind of what I was talking about when I opened up with kind of tiers of, of how I use time. Um, I do think it's a kind of ebbing and flowing answer. I, there's some weeks that I think I would honestly say I wasted almost no time at all where I feel like it was in line with um, my goals and my purpose. And I, you know, maybe, maybe I, I watched more TV than a theoretical me would want to, but it was time I needed to relax and recharge. And I think that everything else uh, being said, it was uh, not wasted. And then there's weeks when I might be working a ton, but I would say that I wasted a lot of time. So the, the biggest thing for me is tracking it. I, for about five years, I've tracked with, I'd say maybe 70% consistency 
every down to every 30 minutes of almost everything I've done. So I can look back over the last five years and know what I was doing at 9.30 a.m. 2016 on you know December 12th. So again, with 70% accuracy, I missed a significant number of days. But on the whole, I'm able to look back and the things I've noticed are I've become much better at managing my time just through knowing how I'm spending it. Um, just through the knowledge alone of um, what, literally like the chart I put up, how much time do I actually need to put towards stuff? And that just comes from experience. I have a project. It's this, this amount of work. It took me this many hours to complete. I need to do this many projects per week to make the amount of money I want to make or to have enough practice to hit a certain number of hours a year that I want to do towards this one goal. And I, I just slowly, you know, figured that out. Um, the other biggest thing to add to that for me is that all time is not equivalent to me. I, I would value my time in the mornings cognitively t- more than twice as high as I would value my times in the afternoon cognitively. So if I mismanage where I place difficult tasks, I, I think that would also be wasting time, but just be, because of a, a lack of optimization. And that's a topic I can talk for way too long about and annoy way too many people about. So I'll cut it there. Actually, before we move on to some people from the audience, I noticed something that you said. Uh, you mentioned watching TV more than, I forget your wording, but essentially you said your ideal self would. Is that part of your picture of your ideal self? How much time you are spending recharging and what kinds of activities are in in that? Yeah, it it is. But I I think that there's... One of the ideas that came up in the breakout rooms last week was the idea of kind of compound interest of these habit habits, right? How they build up over time. And I think that some of these that's accurate. And I think that some of them not, maybe not to the same degree, right? For example, practicing piano is very clearly just over time. You, you get better, you build on what you know, you sleep on it, you get better, you know. And may, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe somebody will disagree with me here, but if I spend too, too many hours watching TV, rather than, um, I don't know, what's something I'd, I'd rather be going for a walk. Um, I think next week I can just switch that, um, just, you know, at the cost of the extra cognitive um, cost of, of breaking a potential habit. But I can just do a walk next week and not really be any worse off for it. But... That's, that's kind of how I think of that. Cool. Um, all right. I see some things going on in the chat. Roxanne, did you want to jump into the discussion with uh, what you had to say there? Oh, hi. Yeah. I'm hi. just spouting my ideas out. Um, no, please. You know, I'm, I'm older than a lot of you here. And I, and I, and I, I don't want to use envy um, or jealousy, but 
you know, I think it's beautiful that you have these goals. Um, and in my life, the way I lived was to just take what came by me. But I had a successful career. I owned a business. I had a family. I was married, then divorced, then I was married. And I have so many experiences. So I, I'm, I guess these questions are, how do you know what's going to fill you if, if you don't see these things first? If you don't allow yourself to experience and manage yourself so diligently, like I hear um, what's going on, how um, are you, maybe you're just born with that knowledge that you know what you want to do. Um, so I think it, it's a good balance maybe to do, the, do both. And where does that ego come in? How is that not so egocentric to believe that you are the center of the universe and affect and but what you do affects everything. So maybe that maybe they, I don't know if that question is um, relevant to what you're talking about. But um, yeah. it just seems like such a rigid way to live. But I guess it, everyone's soul is fed in a different way. So I just uh, thank you for letting me. Yeah, absolutely. Th thank you for putting the question out there. Um, Alex, do you want to take that for me? Yeah, and, and maybe you can add, add some to it. But I think, to me, this is much more of, a, to quote Pirates of the Caribbean, guidelines rather than actual rules. So these are kind of the basics that I know I want to hit certain things. Um, personally, this is almost, um, this is something that cognitively helps me keep on track. I also have a, a girlfriend who's the total opposite of this. So personally, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm at risk for getting too structured. Um, but I do agree with you. I, I think that you can get too focused and forget about other experiences. And, and that's why I personally, I feel like being more open-minded and practicing mindfulness and being self-aware has allowed me to clarify my goals more at, without sacrificing kind of the looking around me and looking at other experiences and potentially shifting. Um, so yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And I, I don't think that, um, well, I, I would say, I do think that that is a risk for some people that you may be a different person in a few years and the, either the things you set out to do are no longer what you want or, um, yeah, or you, you'd never found a lot of things you could have. I think the analogy that comes to mind for me is, well, first, let me say it more, more deliberately, and then I'll use an analogy. I think that, yeah, absolutely, there, there is merit to the idea that, you know, there is, there's, a cont there's something meaningful to be found in spontaneity and sort of letting things happen and taking advantage of what comes your way um, without necessarily having structured goals. But the way that I see that is something like, let's say driving along a highway and say you start in one place and you have a goal to get somewhere else. You can drive in many ways. You can drive you know, in the fast lane, just focused on where you're going, not paying attention to the other exits, not paying attention to anything else passing you by, any of the other traffic, anything that's happening around you, and you can get to that spot and have missed all of that. And, and frankly, not even know it. 
You could also drive without a destination where you just make random turns. And if you see something interesting that looks like it's worth pursuing, you go that way for a little bit until it doesn't seem interesting or worth pursuing anymore. And then you start making random turns again until you find something. But I think something like the right, the right way to drive, the most effective way to drive, in my opinion, would be to have a goal in the first place. Drive that way. Maybe deliberately take yourself off of the path at certain points to give yourself the opportunity to find that meaningful spontaneity and to drive in a way where your head is up, you're looking around and when spontaneous things present themselves, you have the openness to pursue them without letting go of your primary goal and driving fast enough that and driving hard enough that when you do need to adjust, you haven't, you haven't spent, you haven't sunk some sort of cost into something that's not going to end up as your end goal. So I think, I think there's balance there and, you know, maybe that's just a roundabout way of saying what you were kind of saying, Alex, but that's how, that's how I would respond to that. Um, the other thing, Roxanne, is you're never too old to have goals that are worth pursuing. Um, this is very true. That's all. <laughs> Thank you. Absolutely. All right. Uh, Joe. Really quickly, one of the things that I look at with time management is the idea of balance. And so, and we, we alluded to that as well, but one of the, I struggle with it in the sense that sometimes balance could be unbalanced for a short period of time or out of balance for a short period of time. And then, you know, maybe taking a lot of downtime in order to recuperate as opposed to, so you work nonstop for four months and then, but that for the next month, you still work obviously, but you, you know, you make sure you take certain amount of time for yourself each evening or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. Is that seen as, I mean, and when I look at time management, you, you're trying to build habits, right? Instead of, that doesn't seem to follow the idea of habits in a way. It seems like you're sprinting as opposed to actually in a marathon race. So, mm -hmm. and, I, and I struggle with that because I, I, I like to get hyper-focused and really work hard at a problem and you know but at, at the same time uh it's not it's out of balance completely so it's it's just it's a question i have i don't know how to most effectively manage my time it's not necessarily clear to me and that's something that i've been trying to figure out for my ideal self in general so. yeah I don't, I don't think i have any sort of silver bullet answer to that that's a great question Personally, Joe, I, I feel like I'm the same way. I My ideal work schedule would be to work for a month straight and then take a week off, right? Like I want to be hyper-focused, like you said, and just get exhaust my creative energy and then just break. That's That's how I'm able to do a lot of my, you know, relaxation time and have it not feel like wasted time is when I am just totally creatively drained 
And I feel like that week is totally necessary and I'm not going to, um, you know, count any of that downtime as wasted time, basically, no matter what I'm doing. But I, I think there's a, I think there's other um, forces in our minds that are probably, I mean, I, I don't know any way to quantify this, but I would, to me, seem just as powerful as habits, if not more. So like a drive to finish a project or to solve a problem, to me, usually over like supersedes a habit, right? If I have a, a goal in a project I'm trying to like uh, solve, I'm probably going to forget, oh, I usually eat lunch right now. And I usually do that because I'm so immersed in that one problem solving um, scenario that the habits kind of get forgotten about. Um, I know that's not all habits are equal, not all, you know, creative situations are equal, but that's, that's just my input. Can I add something really quickly? Yeah. So like one of the ideas is that the, the, the ability to disconnect, like I don't have that. I don't have the ability to stop. So therefore I need a hard stop in order to really reju rejuvenate because when I'm going, it's going to be on my mind. And so, and that's where I have my ideal self. And I, and I brought it up at the beginning of this was the diminishing returns part too. It was really hard for me to identify and I need to figure out a way to identify that because I also have stepped away from things for a week or two, looked at it again and then completely redone it. And said, oh, well, that makes a lot more sense if I do this, this, and this. So, you know, the recharging time, it, I, it just seems like it's better if it were more of a, but that's out of balance, right? Mm -hmm. And that's not a habit unless you're looking over periods of time. Um, so it's just a struggle that I have. I got to figure it out someday, maybe. <laughs> right. Kevin. Thanks, Joe. Yes, thank you guys. Uh, nice talk. Uh, I want to build up on uh, Joe said of time's uh, idea of a balance. I, I would say we also need to reduce the stressful time and uh, be flexible of uh, time management. And everyone need a, a healthy lifestyle, a good habit. It's sometimes like investment. You cannot expect every investment have good return mm. okay, let's say use one day as example i would uh define the three category time for living from work eating sleeping maybe it's going to consume a two-third of a time uh, at least and time for life your hobby family friends and go to gym the third one is time for yourself self-awareness self-discovery and lessons learned how to let your work how can I make it efficient how about your hobby is need to change your friends all help you do you need to spend time with them play the game or social media and uh, chat you know it's efficient and also researching and possibly a personal project thank you that's thank you kevin yeah for for anybody who may not have uh, caught all of that 
So uh, Kevin made two two good points. Well, one was a, a division of life into time for living, time for work, and time for yourself, uh, which I think is a, definitely an interesting way to divide things up. And then also made the point that you can't expect a return on all investments. And if you treat your time like an investment, you know, you have to be diligent, you have to pay attention, but you're not failing if every invest, if not every investment gives you a return. Like it's worth, it's worth considering it like that. Um, yeah, if, if hopefully I understood that properly. So, all right, thank you, Kevin. Next up is Priya. Hi, thanks. Um, I have two things. First one is- You're coming in a little quiet, Priya. Yeah, hi. Um, is it better? Uh, I think so. Yeah, um, you mentioned a tool that helps with um, managing or seeing how you spend your time. There's another software I use that I wanted to share. It's called Rescue Time. Uh, you could install it on your computer or laptop or iPad. It lets you, it, it just runs on the background. It kind of tells you like what websites you're looking at, um, what application you're using, if anyone's ever curious of like how to manage that or have it. I'm sure there's a lot of them. So that's one I use. Um, I can't say that I always check it. So I'm guilty of just like trying to manage my time well, even if um, I do, you know, tend to do certain things like YouTube, um, but it's still good to kind of um, analyze what, how you spend your time, which is always critical to making adjustments and changing habits that you want to change. The second thing I, is a question. Um, made me think about like what I have difficulty is like when we set up goals, how to use the urgency of our, our time because a goal might take about maybe two years, three years, a long period of time. And how, how does everyone like cr create some sort of a um, internal um, like force to um, and have this urgency to um, always work through it and and see for it to like to accomplish it in that five year span or whatever length of time. Okay, I've got three things for you, Priya. Uh, write this down if you can. Sorry, I'm making sure that I have it written so that I can explain it to you succinctly. Look up, there's a software development process called Scrum. And for any sort of large project, now this is typically used in the software development world, uh, but I've seen it translated into general productivity. But the way that Scrum works and breaks up long tasks is you essentially define small chunks and you do sprints on small chunks and you have intermediate goals. Uh, I'm sure someone else could explain it far better than me, but look up this process and it, you'll see how you can adapt this to your long-term, longer term goals to really like put that fire under you to get the next sprint done because it gives you small wins, which are awesome. It gives you short-term goals that are like visibly within reach. It's amazing. Uh, 
Number two is the reticular activating system. Uh, this is something that I learned, and I, I'm, I'm not a neuroscientist, so it's possible that I may butcher the neuroscience of this, but there's a piece of your brain that essentially filters information that's coming in. Like, you know, you have lots of stuff coming in all the time, sounds, sights, touch, taste, smell, everything's happening all at once, but you only have a limited amount of cognitive space that you can be conscious of at any given time. And there's the system that sorts things out between what is useful to feed into consciousness and what needs to get tucked away or ultimately forgotten completely. And that system is called the reticular activating system. And now this is, again, going from my understanding, I'm going to hedge this a lot. I am not a neuroscientist, but this technique has worked for me. And there, there are variations on this technique. But what I started doing was once I had defined my goals or defined the way that I wanted to live, I started rewriting them every single day, not because I needed to memorize them or needed to get to know them better, but specifically write them every single day in the morning to prime the reticular activating system for the rest of the day to be paying attention for those things. And the way some people do this is with something like a dream board, which is it's, it's that in picture format and you look at it every day. Um, there are lots of ways to achieve this, but the idea is prime yourself each day so that you are thinking about those goals and they're in the forefront of your mind so that when opportunities come along that you need to take, when you need to focus on something, when, whenever you need to be making choices that impact the longer term outcome of those goals, you can see them more in the short term, even if the goal is long term, because you've reminded yourself, you know, you almost get that excitement of day one effect, but every single time, every single day. Uh, so that's good. And then the last thing is a, a technique that if I'm remembering the details correctly, I think I learned this from Srikant uh, and I don't remember what he calls it, but, or where he got it from. But the idea was to set a timer, a five minute timer that constantly, it just goes off every five minutes. And every single time it goes off, you check in with yourself. Am I focused? Am I doing what I set out to do? Did I get distracted from my goals? Did I get sidetracked? Did I accomplish the thing that I was trying to do five minutes ago that should have only taken me three minutes? Uh, so Shrikant, if you feel like you want to jump in on that technique, you're welcome to. Uh, if you feel like I explained it adequately, I'll leave it there. Absolutely. It's um, the short, my favorite name for it is Yoda timer. It's actually amazing how, what, how much you can do if you set your mind to it, if you just, so the plan is very simple. The, the method is very simple. You choose a very tough problem or a tough question, the toughest one that you can think of, and then try to actually answer the question in five minutes, okay? You'd be surprised how much can be done in five minutes. Then the second step is assume that whatever answer you came up with is wrong and spend five minutes trying to brainstorm all the alternative ways of solving the problem or answering the question. And if you do those two things and you keep on doing this as many times as you need, just these five minute sprints, you'd be surprised how much your 
brain can do, how much your mind can do when you give yourself a time limit. That's it. Awesome. Thanks, Shrikant. Uh, Steven put in the chat, mindfulness. Yes, uh, exactly. That's, I mean, that's what that five-minute check-in is, is. It's the same process as when you learn something like Vipassana meditation of coming back to your object of meditation, you know, as soon as you notice you're distracted, you know. So anyway, hopefully those are good tips. I believe we have one more and then we're gonna go to the exercise and breakout rooms. So gang. Yeah, so uh, I want to uh, answer, maybe share my observation of the, what uh, Joe was asking. I read this book called One Thing. I think it's one of the most helpful book I read about dealing with time. It's actually, I learned the most efficient way for me is deal with one challenge problem, block a big chunk of time, just focus on one problem instead of worry about different things at the same time. Like I do multiple projects at the same time for my own business. So I have, there's always something like I've never done before and I know I can figure out it takes a lot of energy and time. So I save it for like one, Oh, um, several days, I'm going to work just on that, not care about anything else. And that works perfectly. And it, oh, the book also mentioned about counterbalance. He said life is not balancing, it's counterbalancing because we have so many things in our life, like life, family, career, all these things. And it's impossible you keep everything in balance at the same time. You can focus on one important thing at one time. Like I was doing this diet, I spent so much time doing this gluten, dairy, soy free recipe to research on that. At that time, I may not be able to focus on my job. But once I have that learned, you know, managed, then I spend more time on my job. So it's, I just want to share that, that's actually very helpful. What Joe mentioned, you know, sometimes you focus on a job like a couple of days, maybe auto balance. But after that, you relax, you counterbalance. So then in the end, you're still balancing your life. Thank you. Thanks, King. All right, before I get into the exercise, I, it's, it's weighing on me. I have to share this method that I recently learned for task time management that is, it's a focus technique more than anything. And then I promise we'll get into the exercise. So I'm gonna share my screen real quick. I've got a, uh, oh, I can do this. Aha, a Zoom whiteboard. Hopefully everyone can see this. Can everybody see what I'm drawing right now? You have to pardon my mouse handwriting. Okay, I see some thumbs up, great. All right, so this is the AB list method. And I learned this in a, uh, in a class for doing mixing, like music, audio mixing. So at some point when you're mixing, you know, I, I don't know what a lot of people imagine mixing looks like, but you essentially get this blast of, of tracks that you need to glue together in some way by changing the volume of each one and using some various effects that, you know, affect the tone and texture of everything. And you really have to put everything together. And part of what that takes is listening to the same thing over and over and over and over and over again for several hours. And so it does really crazy things to your mind. It can totally change the way that you hear things. And often people get really distracted. And so because you're like spinning all these plates all at the same time and you're doing this complex task, 
you can become totally saturated with tasks. And rather than systematically working through something like a mix, you can start scattershotting everything. Just as soon as something stands out to you, you boom, fix it. Something else stands out, boom, fix it. Oh, but that broke this other thing, boom, fix it. Now you're onto the other thing that got broken and all of a sudden you have a mess and it's not good. You're actually undoing a lot of the work that you did. So this is a technique that I learned from a guy named Joe Gilder, who's an awesome YouTuber, mixer, um, all around awesome guy, but definitely in the audio mixing world. But this technique will apply to any project. So once you feel like you've got a, solid foundation of your project and you're in the detail work and you have pieces of your project that may affect each other. The first thing you do is you go through the entire project and you make a list of all your to do's. You're not allowed to work on them until you've reviewed the whole project, right? So you have, you know, thing one, thing two, I'm not going to start doing more numbers. I'm going to make squiggles. And you end up with this, this a list of things that you, want to work on. All right. So you've got your a list. And now, once you think your list is complete, you can start working. And as you are checking things off in the a list, you'll probably notice other things that you would like to add to the list. Here's where the B list comes in. You can add new things to the list, but they have to go on the B list. And you cannot work on the B list until everything on the a list is complete. All right, so now you've completed everything on your A list and you move on to your B list, which now becomes your A list and the process starts over again, all right? So now all the stuff that was on your B list is on your A list and it's incomplete. So you've got a couple of tasks. So you start working through those. And again, you're gonna notice other things that you wanna do before your A-list, your new A-list is complete. Stick them on the B-list. And it's this cascading list method until you're done. So it's a focus tool. I've been using it for many things lately and it's awesome. First of all, it works wonders for missing, for mixing, but it, or it works for any complex projects. Have your A-list, don't move on to anything else in the B-list until A is totally complete and then shift everything from B to A. And you can even do another review in there to make sure that your list is as complete as possible. And what I find is that after two or three iterations of this method, everything's done. When you're in the detail work phase and you're not you know, building new chunks of some project, you could do this two or three times and your project is done and you got it done in a focused manner. So, all right, cool. Now that we have gone over that, Let's go to the exercise for this week. And then we'll go into breakout rooms and talk about time, how to make sure that you're budgeting your time so that none is wasted. All right, so this is one of those that is going to be a little difficult to do right here. So let me describe it first. And this is one of those ones where kind of like I was doing in the beginning, if you trust my ability to come up with exercises, the best way to do this is to plan a specific time this week when you're going to do it. And this exercise goes over at least 24 hours, 48 or more if you're brave. So take a typical day in your week or stretch of days, and you're going to keep a diligent log 
of how you actually use your time. Sort of like the device that we used or the app that someone else mentioned um, or the garden analogy, it, you're gonna track what you're doing with each plot in your garden for just a 24 hour period and just be super detailed. Uh, the interval could be 15 minutes, it could be an hour, uh, you know, it could be you check in every two hours and write down what you did in the previous hour. But all you're gonna do is a regular interval for a, a pretty representative stretch of time in your week. Track everything, everything you did. And you can get as detailed as you, as you think will be meaningful. You know, if you wanna put, you know, how many pieces of broccoli you put on your plate and how long it took you to walk into the kitchen from, it, I don't think that's sustainable, but if that level of detail is, you think is gonna help you, you know, whatever. I think something like every hour or every half hour is probably the most useful. Um, and really focus on, yeah, how you, how you use that time. So just like the thought exercise from a couple of weeks ago, we're gonna analyze some things for each of those blocks of time. And it's three questions. First of all, did I move myself closer to my goals during this block of time. And, you know, we talked about recharge time. We talked about creative distraction today. You know, if you consider those things moving you towards your goals, that's moving you towards your goals. Just in your analysis, was this time wasted or not? If the time was wasted, what could you have done differently? And then number three, why might you have become distracted from your goals? What was the temptation that led you away from it? What was the trigger for your habit that is destructive or regressive? And that's it. Track a big chunk of time. And for each block that you're tracking, ask those three questions. Did it move me closer to my goals? If I wasted time, what could I have done differently? And why might I have, why might I have become distracted? So with that, we will go ahead and head into the breakout room discussions on time and how to use it effectively. I look forward to everyone completing the exercise next week. Um, I know I will, and hopefully it will be very interesting. By the way, include sleep in that exercise um, because it's important to know how long you sleep. And if you have something like a sleep tracker, put that data in there as well, because there's a difference between sleep opportunity and how much sleep you're actually getting. So. All right, with that, we'll head into the breakout rooms. Have fun. Good night, everyone. Thank you for listening.